Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin. And my guest today is the founder of My Advantage, Dr. Derek Robinson. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, brother. Appreciate it. Oh, man, listen, it's always an honor to catch up with you. <laughs> uh, first of all, congratulations on starting the company. Um, what, what made you start it? Well, I, in actuality, I started this company a couple of years ago and just never did anything with it. Um, so I, I created it, got the domain name, set up the website, just left it alone because I was just busy on my day to day. But last summer I was teaching a summer course and I'm showing some doctoral students how to do some strategies with their writing. And then someone said to me like, Hey, you know, I'd actually pay you to teach me this stuff. And I'm like, word. Because mm -hmm. what I was teaching them is not something that you'll ever learn or someone will teach you in a doctoral program. You're going to get your PhD. Most professors assume you already know how to write. They may show you a little stuff here and there, but they're not going to teach you strategies unless they do it out of kindness of their own heart. Like I've had some professors who show me, but that's because that's what they do, you know, but not everybody does it. I've been around professors just assume you're supposed to know this stuff. So I work on intangible skills, uh, things that, you know, you're supposed to have, but no one's ever taught you that, like how to study or how to organize your life or how to organize like writing literature, stuff like that, or academic writing. I, I work on those uh, things. So that's been my focus. And that's kind of the whole focus of uh, my advantage. What, what are the benefits for having a strategy for studying and writing? Well, because what you want to be able to do is be productive and efficient. And the crazy thing is if you can't, there's nowhere anyone ever teaches you how to study, how to plan, how to organize yourself. Um, so if you have a parent who knows it a little bit, they can give you something that they work through, but no teacher ever teaches a person how to study. They just give you homework, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you know, the advantages of it is once you understand it, it all begins with your body, clock, your energy level. Um, so I, I say it like this, you have high and low energy during a, a typical day. Most people will say it. I'm a morning person or I'm a late night person. What they're saying is the same thing. They have their energy at different times of the day. And if you can learn how to maximize those high energy times and matching with high energy activity and vice versa with low energy times and activities, you can be more productive. I have about maybe three hours a day where I'm just at maximum energy and I can work in like a speed burst, you know, but if I waste it and I get on Facebook, <laughs> that time still goes, you know, but if you, if you're not working with an energy level, it's easy to get distracted. Um, and you've done it before you've started trying to read something next, you know, your mind wanders somewhere else. You know, I remember being in college trying to read stuff and that was a perfect way to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, it aligns with your energy, um, things like that, but we don't teach people how to study. We don't teach people how to organize themselves. So we just assume you're supposed to know how to do it. And that's kind of unfair. Yeah. I, what, what, what would you say to typical ages? Because I'm going to be completely honest. One, I didn't do a good job of studying. And two, I had, I'm going to be, uh, I had no idea how to study. I just didn't. Um, yeah. Well, I can tell you this as early as possible, you get good habits of mind. 
And the thing is, most of us don't get it because we didn't come from people who thought about it, you know, and most teachers don't think about it, nor do they teach you how to do it. Um, they just show you how to do your homework, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. But um, I actually learned, like a professor I had in college at Morehouse taught us how to study. And it made the most sense in the world. It was like, well, how would I miss that? You know, and he's just like, you got to know yourself. And I knew I was a morning person. So like on a Saturday morning, I could wake up at five o'clock in the morning, fully energized. And I will work from five to noon on a Saturday morning and not disturb my roommate, but just do, get my work done. And then when noon hit, all my energy was zapped. It was college football time, you know, so I could then take off for the rest of the day. I learned to study in between classes and I could study seven, eight hours a day and be done by 630 at night because I knew I didn't do anything smart past 630, you know. <laughs> so at 630, man, all my energy and brain was depleted. So that's when I, I kind of learned how to do that. And as I got older, I used some of those strategies. But when I started working on my Ph.D., I really had to use it. Um, and I had to use it while I was working too. So you're working full time and going to school. You really got to be strategic about how you allocate your energy. I'm going to back up a little bit because the, the, the college professor at Morehouse really intrigued me. So did you go to him or did he come to you or, or did you all learn this? He taught us this in class. Like he actually just stopped class and was like, I guess he was noticing we were just not getting it. We were messing up because what would happen was a constitutional law class, Dr. Abraham Davis. And when he called on you, you had to recite case study, right? So you just kind of dread when he would go to one person, they didn't have it. Person behind him was next. And I guess he went like four people straight. No one had the information. And I'm sitting there nervous because I'm probably like three people away. I'm like, please don't get to me on this. And he just, he stopped class and was like, you know, and, and it helped because he graduated from Morehouse. So he had a affinity for us, things like that. And he was like, listen, y'all don't know how to study. And then he just started breaking things down. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm, I'm absorbing it all, you know, but it was him taking the time and saying, I got a lot of stuff to get as far as course material, but I'm going to take this break. And I'm going to give you something because ain't no need me continuing on and y'all ain't getting, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. But, but we do that in, in public schools with teachers. Teachers will still go through their curriculum. They'll still go through their lessons and, and just drop it. I think of it like a train where you're steady kicking kids off the train, but you on this train from August to May. And by the time you look up in May, nobody on the train with you because you're just kicking them off. But sometimes you got to stop and gather people. You know, mm -hmm. he did that for us, you know, and, and that's, I'm forever grateful for that because it actually helped me throughout the rest of my life. What, what year was this? Was this your freshman year, sophomore? What year was it? This was sophomore year. So I'm a good, so that's really interesting. So once you learned how to study, did it make you revisit like, man, I was doing it all wrong all these years. How did I, how did, how did I get this far? Absolutely. It absolutely did. Now, I'll be honest with you. I didn't quite, like, apply it until later on. Like, now I applied it for practice, but when I became a teacher, I fell right into that, that trap that everybody gets caught into. Like, you got to get this homework done, and they say I got to be 
you know, I got to be teaching the civil war by October one. So I'm like, Oh God, I got to start from like the very beginning of us history and get to the civil war by the first of October. So I'm just trying to give you pound information on whether you get it or not. And I had to learn later, um, working with students individually, I had to learn later that sometimes you just got to back up and not worry about all that other stuff you got to do. And you got to teach people how to actually master it. So the first thing I began to teach people is how to write. Um, because to me, if I could teach you how to write and reason, things like that, then you can get the information on your own. Mm -hmm. But I had to teach students how to write. And that's another skill that's intangible that people don't really, are never really taught how to do. Um, primarily because we assume if you can spell and you can put together sentences, but after we teach you how to put together sentences in a paragraph, we stop teaching about writing mm. and we just grade you on it, you know? <laughs> Let me ask you this. Do you think one of the reasons studying is not taught at an earlier age, because maybe the teachers don't know how to study? That's a sad truth. Um, you got to look at it like this too. And, I, and this is an ugly truth, but they say about 40% of those in the teaching workforce graduated in the bottom third of their class. Ooh. Yeah. And that's, that's particularly sad because given how important it is for the teaching profession to have like competent teachers and things like that. But we also are in a very pay compressed um, industry. So no matter how, if you're a like, dynamic new teacher, I don't care how great you are, you're not getting past 38,100. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. But we're not paying you according to your level of productivity. Whereas if you have a dynamic engineer who's producing stuff, things like that, they're going to get paid for it. If you got a dynamic like oral surgeon, stuff like that, who's doing amazing dentistry, they're going to get paid their worth. Um, we don't pay you your worth in education. We pay you by how long you stick around. So every year on a, on a ladder of getting paid. So every like year you move up a step. So we just paying you for existing. <laughs> Do you think that's something that should be introduced? Like paying, paying teachers according to their skill level? It's hard. Um, it's primarily hard because the measures by which we try to say you're doing a good job um, is testing. And testing depends on so many other things like families, family background, whether your kid is nutrition well, whether they actually have access to that test before the test is given. You don't think that these people in these affluent areas are just smart. They're cheating too. Um, <laughs> but so all of that stuff plays in the factor. And that's not what education is really about. Like education is like planting flowers and planting crops. You plant today. But you don't know, you're not in charge of when it comes out the ground. You're not in charge of when it evidences itself. And what we've done is created a model where we start in August and you're supposed to know everything you're supposed to know by like May, June. And then the day after that test is no longer important. Like you can't tell me that I'm supposed to learn by a finite date. You know, truthfully, the things you learn in elementary school prepare you for middle school. Things you learn in middle school prepare you for high school. And you don't see the evidence of what you learned at high school to an adult. Dang. You know, so we can't measure learning in that way. We like to think could, and that's what the whole testing thing is about. But what we're measuring is how well you play the game. Mm. 
that study technique, how long does it take to actually get it? it you got to be persistent. Um, you're not going to get it. Like if you think you can do this the first week, because I actually like teach an online course on how to write and I put people on reading plans, things like that. And it's all according to your energy and all of that, but you're going to fail a few times, but it's about being persistent and saying, you know, I'm just going to give it, give it time and, and keep at it. Um, but I, I tell people don't put together, like for them, they have to do some reading. So I don't, don't give yourself daily reading goals, give yourself a weekly reading goal. So you can be flexible for on and off days. You know, there's some days you just ain't got it, you know, but then there's some days you're on. So if you give a weekly goal rather than a daily goal, you won't like procrastinate and then get distracted. Like if I don't meet my daily goal, it's okay. But some people, if they don't meet their daily goal, they defeat it, they quit. It's like diet exercise, right? Yeah. You don't go into the gym and say, you know, I'm gonna come out buff tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All of that is, is part of the learning and studying process. You know, you, if someone told you, hey, I'm gonna put you in the gym every single day, um, put you on a nutrition plan that you're gonna bye-bye for the next year, um, but don't expect to see results for a year. Most people wouldn't take that, but that's indeed reality, you know? What level, what, what the, the writing class, what, because you, of course you're a doctor, so you're highly credentialed, but these, the right, the, the people who choose to take this class, what level of writing are we talking? Are we talking at a doctor level at a bachelor or just, just a, okay. what level? So primarily it's the doctoral level or the graduate student level. Um, because that's what I, when I started learning these techniques and strategies and borrowing from, from prolific writers that I was able to meet, I was working with doctoral students from writing the dissertation or writing journal articles and things like that. So it's, it's really academic writing, but the principles are for anybody who wishes to write. So if you just want to write your novel or write a book, you know, things like that, the principles are all still the same. Um, it just happens that I initially started this and did work with students who were in a doctoral program. So a lot of it's geared towards that level of academic writing. Have you had anyone come to you, um, take the, have, has anyone taken the course for writing novels? They haven't yet, but I had an interesting conversation with someone who has a, a bookstore, um, in Charlotte and they, they asked me and I, and I guess I failed to answer them correctly because I, I wasn't thinking at the point about that, but they asked me, was this, was one of my webinars for anybody who wants to write? And because of all my material talked about academic writing, I didn't, I wasn't, I guess, broad enough or thoughtful enough to consider everyone should do it until I actually conducted some of these things. I'm like, Hey, well, anyone who wishes to write can, can use these processes. So I'm broadening, I'm growing as I do. And once again, I've only started seriously at this since last summer. <laughs> mm. Because that, because it's at a doctorate level, most people, I'm going to assume most people already have like at least a, ba a bachelor's or master's, correct? That's correct. Let me ask you, has anyone, have you noticed anyone having a problem like being humble enough to take the class? Because if you've already achieved a, a bachelor's or a master's, you, you, you may struggle with humbling yourself to actually learn to continue writing because the skills you already have got you that far. Exactly. 
Exactly. And that's sometimes that's the pitfall I've discovered in many doctoral students is let's just face it. Like you don't get to the doctoral level unless you've been like the AP student, so to speak of all your schooling. Mm -hmm. But the doctor, the doctorate is different in a sense that, you know, all of our schooling consisted of this. You went to the class, you finished the class, you graduate. So that's how you got through high school. Then you go to college, you finish all your courses, then you graduate. You go to your master's program, you finish all your courses. And the next thing after that is you graduate. Occasionally you'll have a master's thesis or a capstone or something like that. But the doctoral program, once you finish classes, you ain't off. You know, now it's time to write the dissertation and now you got to perform. Um, so it's different in that way, but you have people come to the program thinking, well, I was always a straight A student. And then they get hit upside the head with a B. <laughs> and next thing you know, they either crack under the pressure or they grow. So when we, when we started doing like writing workshops and things like that, when we had new groups of doctoral students coming in at the university of Memphis, what I put together was like a pre doctoral orientation and just kind of gave them the real up, like things we talked about in the interviews, but also like, Hey, I know you were a star and that got you here, but that doesn't keep you here. You're going to have to humble yourself, get some skills. And that's hard to do. It's hard for a person to admit that they need the help before they actually run into a buzzsaw and it's, get the help or you gonna drop out of class or drop out of school, mm -hmm. you know? So a lot of times, you know, writing coaches and things like that, get people who may be in a sense of desperation or they get people who are wise enough to know that I can't get through this as a solo act. I need people working. I need a network of people working in my corner. It's just like a person who decides I need to lose weight, but I don't want to hire a trainer. I'm just going to depend on myself and you too. Now you can do that, but sometimes you need a coach or a trainer or somebody to be, to be a, hold you accountable and keep you motivated and give you strategies that they've been able to use over and over again. You know, I, I try to get in shape all the time and I go into the gym and I have a, a week of just good workouts. Mm -hmm. And by the time the week is over, I'm sore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> your muscles is, you know, cause you start, you know, you, you're breaking down muscles and things like that to rebuild them. And by the time that's done, I'm sore. So I don't come back to the gym for another three months. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But if I had a trainer, you know, someone I actually invested in also, if I've invested into this, when I spent my own money for it, then that makes a difference because you know, you know what people do to free stuff. We, we abuse it. We don't utilize it properly. Think about everything in society that's free. We, we make poor use of it, like free public schools. It's not really free as taxpayer money, but to the average citizen, we think of it as free. Mm -hmm. We don't value things that are free, you know? So there's gotta be a personal commitment to it. So I say, well, people want to be a writer, getting a writing coach is the wisest thing to do. And investing in that is a way to make you take it seriously. Like when you spend $350 for a pair of shoes, you keep clean. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if I give you some free shoes, you're going to run through the dirt with them, things like that. But it's, but I think anybody in your field, you should get someone to model, mentor, and coach um, because you need an outside 
you need outside eyes. You need what we call soft eyes on what you do. Um, so I would use that if I'm getting, if I'm training uh, physically, I would get a trainer. Um, and although I know the workouts and things like that, I don't. I need help. I need assistance. I need someone pushing. Um, if I want to become a greater writer, like even good comics have writers, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I mean, who knew? I mean, Richard Pryor, the greatest of all time, had Paul Mooney write for him. So you know, they 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 have that team of people who work like that. How long is the course? Uh, the course that I offer, particularly the writing course. Now I have two levels of course. I have mini courses, then I have the full course. Full courses are ten sessions, um, and they're generally like on demand, so you can actually do them on demand um, and, and do them at your pace. And I also have mini courses that are like five, like sessions. Um, they're about like maybe. Of, of many sessions, probably close to about an hour worth of material plus assignments and, you know, activities and things like that. Um, the, the longer course, of course, is maybe two and a half, three hours worth of material plus other materials and products and stuff like that that they get. You talk, we talk a lot about, you just, you mentioned like resources and, and money and spending money. Do you think, I'm I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I'm gonna ask anyway. Do you think sometimes people don't succeed because of lack of resources? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there, there's no other. Of course, there's motivation, things like that. But you're motivated when you don't, when you know that you have everything around you to get things done. Um, you lose motivation when there's no success models around you. You lose motivation when you know that you don't have all the resources and all of this could end. You know, you also lose motivation when there's doubt in your mind. Now, what creates doubt? Um, doubt is like when I've seen people do this and fail, it tells me that there's a probability that this could not work out right. And the worst thing that happens, particularly when we start talking about people in under-resourced communities, is the feeling like there's no plan B that you can't make a mistake. And mistakes, once again, are the things that happen all the time. I work with, like, my math camp. It's based upon making mistakes. It's based upon taking your time, making mistakes, and learning from them. Mathematicians always make mistakes. Math teachers teach kids that they cannot make mistakes. And there's a, that's the reason why math is the most feared course in school. <laughs> we teach people you can't make a mistake, you know, but mathematicians who we look at as scientists make mistakes all the time. So what do we teach to kids who are coming from an area where and I've actually had this happen to me in a parent teacher conference where a little girl refused to do math and her reason why she refused to do it because her mama said she didn't have to. Her mother said she didn't have to. Yeah. said so she didn't have to. And then when we asked the mom, is this true? She said, yeah. What her reasoning? <laughs> I'm not going to damage my daughter's um, her. Uh, I guess personality. I'm not going to damage her self esteem. And her thing was, she said, "I wasn't good at math." So now we're handing this down through generations, right? We're telling our children because we weren't good at math. It's okay if you're not either. <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, you know what? It comes from a sincere place because you don't want your children to experience pain. 
And I, and I, and I understand that. But the caveat to that is you don't grow because you don't want to experience pain. Just like working out, like getting, being sore from a workout is part of the process until you do it long enough to where you're not as sore anymore and you start to get the growth. But if you're scared of pain, then I'll see you in three months when you try to work out again. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> I'm glad you actually mentioned math because you also offer um, math tutoring, correct? Like a math camp? Yeah, it's, uh, it's called the Math Advantage Camp, right? So here's how, when the pandemic first hit, I was being interviewed by somebody who had a, another podcast and were asking me, what did I think about the state of education post-pandemic? And are we ever going to return back to the way things used to be? And I said, hopefully we'll never turn back to the way things used to be. Sad part is we're trying to return back to the way things used to be, which didn't work for groups of people. So I had the idea that like, suppose we use this technology the way we should. And suppose there's a dynamite Spanish teacher, but they just happen to be in Seattle. Suppose there's a dynamite English teacher that just happens to be in Texas. If I want an advantage for my child, I'm going to get access to them if I got the resources. I'm not going to stick with this sorry teacher because they happen to live close to me. You know? Yes. So my idea was like, how can I start a school without starting school? Without going through the hoops of starting a school? And how can I utilize this technology to make it happen? So uh, probably about October, November, I had a conversation with my wife about... Um, I would like to start doing a math camp for rising fourth, fifth, and sixth grade students. And we, over a long drive, kind of hashed it out. I'm taking notes here and there. And then I went and got some people that I trust to be kind of like a program advisory board for me. Mm -hmm. And we shot the idea around what kind of teachers will we have do this? And could this work? And, you know, could we make this camp happen? And can, will people be willing to do an online virtual camp? Um, all the things turned out pretty positive. Then I got a lawyer to see what the ramifications would be going through this process. Um, and we started the process of putting it all together. Um, it essentially is a like early exposure kind of camp. So some of this has a historical group. I did it with my children when they were around that age. Um, they were going into the fourth and fifth grade. And that summer I had, a, I went and got like software for fourth and fifth grade because those grades they were going into. And I'm like, I just want to give them early exposure during the summer so that when they go into the school year, this stuff isn't a surprise to them. Um, and they actually had great years, you know, doing that. The exposure worked. Um, and what we do know is that a lot of parents who have resources and an advantage give that to their children by giving them those early exposures. Those kids don't just wind up in, these advanced classes by accident, they, they arrive in those advanced classes because parents are putting together the resources to give their children advantage over others. Mm. Um, so let, that, that's the game that everyone's playing and we're not playing that game, you know, and we probably need to start. If you're going, if you're going to persist in this particular society, this game, so to speak of society, then we've got to utilize our advantages. And I find that a lot of particularly, new money parents or, and I'll just be totally candid. A lot of our middle-class black parents don't use the advantages that they have. They want everything to be fair. 
but I've actually been in schools and I've had parents on the other side come and bring me a list of the teachers that they want their children to have next year. Wow. They're not, they're not trying to have everything be fair. They want their children to have the best of everything and to hell with everyone else. <laughs> you know, mm. that sounds mean because it actually is. It's not fair. I agree. But what, what they also are saying is this one here, this child here is my responsibility. Okay. And I have the resources to get them an advantage. Why would I not use it? That's true. You know, so the purpose of the math advantage camp is to give students early exposure. And it's also to show that math can be taught in many different ways. You don't really get nothing by doing a hundred problems for homework, particularly if you go and do them wrong. You know, <laughs> <laughs> now you just got a habit of doing the calculations wrong. And that's the thing. We teach math only one way. And that is you got to do the calculation. Mm-hmm. And math is more than just performance calculations. I, if you think about how much you use math in just every aspect of your life. And I learned this from some dynamic math teachers that I've been around um, who just, they just think mathematically. You know, they see math in everything. You know, um, and I've learned about doing my research on mathematicians and the study and teaching of math, um, that you do more than just calculations, you know, and there's some principles of math because I taught economics and accounting, which is not like a lot of math, but just principles are still the same, you know? So in accounting, for example, we do what we call double entry accounting. So if you enter it on the asset side, it has to be another, um, entry on another side that balances it out. And that's what we taught people to do with equations. Like you have, if you do something to one side of the equation, you got to do it to the other side of the equation. Well, that's a principle of life balance. You do something to one side, you got to do it to the other side, keep things balanced. You know, if we taught people things like that, how to think about things mathematically, they would learn it better. But we just do these 50 problems and then bring them back tomorrow. You know, yeah. You you mentioned it, and you mentioned early when we were talking um, about kids not being confident in math, and that's one of the mm-hmm. barriers. Is that something that you address early in the camp, like just being confident, approaching the math with confidence? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I have what we call five rules of math. Rule number one is to visualize it. Math is easier when you can see it. You know, so however you need to visualize it, whatever tools you need, sometimes people like money helps them understand math. Uh, well, that's understandable. Money is a motivator for people, but if you can see it, <laughs> if you can see it in real life, then you can do it. The second thing is to break things down and break them apart. Um, if I tell you to uh, like add, particularly dealing with like fourth graders, they do multi-digit addition. So if I tell you to add 487 plus 295, that seems crazy, right? Mm-hmm. but 487 is really 450 plus 30 plus seven, uh, 200 and whatever I just said is 200 plus whatever, plus whatever. If you can break things down, you can add them up and get it done faster. And if you can visualize doing that, those are the people who do math in their head very well. Um, but the fourth rule is to trust yourself. If you go into this with like no confidence, and you're convinced you can't make a mistake, then the first mistake you make, you're going to quit. And the last thing, the one thing that math teachers don't do well enough, and that is we teach people that doing things fast 
means you're right. But mathematicians understand that math is a process. It's not something that you just got to do it right and fast. So if you're in a classroom, they just gave you like 20 math problems and you start seeing kids get, get the math done fast. What does that do to your self-esteem if you ain't get? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's already taking you out the game. So that level of like understanding the speed doesn't make you right. Like I've seen kids, we used to joke about kids who got the test, uh, test done first. Those are the ones that failed, <laughs> you know, yeah. but we're teaching people like speed is what, what this means. And sometimes no math, you got to see it and work it all the way through. You know, you got to ask questions about it. You got to apply it to the real world. You got to check it back. It doesn't make sense in the real world. You know, think about you were highly gifted in understanding sports and, and statistics. Mm -hmm. That ain't nothing but math. Mm. Yeah. But it takes time to figure it out. Like you got to look at these statistics and figure it out. But, but you know what else you're doing? You ain't just doing the calculations and say this person's shooting 37% from the three. You're also saying what that means, you know, things like that. So you're putting it back into the real world. This person is more efficient of a shooter. Then you know, if you let them loose, they're going to have a, they're going to go off tonight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you have to apply math to the real world. And that's the only way this works. Wow. I want to close out with this because I tell you this all the time on the record and private, you're one of the most brilliant people I've ever mm -hmm. met, but what gives you the confidence to do all the things you're doing with the writing camps, the math camps, and just being in the classroom, what's, what gives you personally the confidence to do all these things? Oh man. First of all, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. Um, I guess the thing that gives me the confidence is knowing that I'm doing something. You know, I'm not the most prolific writer. I know writers who have over 500 publications. That's not me. I have 27, like, like journal publications, which is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, it's right. more than most people, you know, but <laughs> so I know that I know what I'm doing and I put in the work to get it done. And I know that I can help you know, so I'm giving somebody something that was given to me by several people. And I've had to go back and thank those people because they've given me an incredible like gift and they meant a lot to me. So the confidence I get is just knowing that I, the sincerity of my actions and what I'm trying to do. And also knowing that I'm doing the best I can to do right by folks, you know? And if that's the case, man, I mean, you know, how could I go, you know, it may not work out like immediately, but over time, you know, uh, stick at it. It's like working out, you know, over time it, you get your goal accomplished. If you're persistent at it. So I'm using my own rules, you know, stay persistent, stay at it, do a little bit every day, stack small victories on top of each other, you know, and just believe yourself. Listen, I truly, truly thank you for doing this. It's always an honor. It's always a pleasure. And I'm excited because I trust you more than any person. I know for a fact that this is going to go well, so I'm excited to see it. Oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And if I can, man, can I give my website to those who are listening and may want to oh. check me out? Oh, please do. That was the next, right. That was going to be the next segue. <laughs> sure. So the actual website, main website is um, www 
myedvantage.org. It's a play on educational advantage. So myedvantage.org. And the math camp um, that that comes from uh, that will be available starting in July is www.mathadvantagecamp. Now, this is not a play on that. So it's mathadvantageacamp.com. So you can catch it that way as well. Um, but you can also catch me on any social media because, uh, you know, right now I'm more of a marketing you know, person. So I'm just, <laughs> you probably noticed my social media. I'm just putting up, you know, ads and commercials and things to promote the business and trying to share the site, and other videos and content that I create, trying to create something every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can catch me there just on any social media site, you know, that, well, I, I ain't got TikTok. It's not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how to dance this out, but, <laughs> but yeah, you can catch me that way. Thank you for giving me this time. You know, I appreciate your platform and the work you've been putting in. So, Hey, it's like I said, it's always an honor. It's always a pleasure. And anytime you want to come back, my platform is always open to you. Indeed. Indeed. And my wife says, want me to tell you hi, man. You know, hopefully I'll catch up and y'all talk as well. But yeah, she just wanted me to say hi and things like that. She has a lot of respect for working. Oh, listen, we're going to catch up. That's something that I've been meaning to do. And, and it's been with the move and things going on, but that's something I need to make happen. Yeah. Yes. And let me, and, and also again, like I said, thank you, man. And my platform open and I know you're going to yeah. do great things. So I'm just excited. Oh, for thank it. you. Appreciate it, man. Peace to your family too, man. All right. All right. I want to thank Yes, sir. I want to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore lamp. My Facebook is also conversations with lamp. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.